morning and welcome to Hoya Community Church. So glad you're all here. If you're able, will you stand? We're going to spend some time worshiping through song this morning. Great to see you all. Let's sing to the Lord.
Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Uh, my name is Monica, and we are very glad to have you here with us today. First, just drawing attention to your bulletins. Um, if you open to the inside cover, there is a connect with us and prayer request form. Whether this is your first time here or you're a longtime member, we would love for you to fill this out. Um, we want to hear from you. There is no prayer request too great or too small, and if you write something down on here, then there is a team of prayer warriors that are praying for you throughout the entire week. I know for me, this is something I look forward to doing um, every week, just because it's great for the community of Christ to come together, to be sharing our joys and concerns, and just lifting each other up. If you need a pen, you can find one in the back of the seat pocket in the chair in front of you. So we're just gonna take a few moments for you um, to have that chance to fill this out. Thank you for taking the time to do so. Um, at the end of the service, the ushers will come by and collect those. And if you haven't finished filling it out yet, you can still have that time throughout the service to be able to do so. We just have a couple of announcements about upcoming events. Uh, first of all, it is almost December, which is kind of crazy to me, um, getting into just the joy of Christmas time and everything with that. We got all of our wonderful Christmas decorations put up, which is a wreath and one foot Christmas tree because we live in an apartment. But hey, it's still getting into the joy of the season. Um, so yes, we have our Christmas Eve services coming up. Um, December 24th, there will be two services, one at 4.30 p.m., one at 6 p.m. There's gonna be live music, refreshments, um, a photo booth to take pictures and celebrate this awesome occasion. And also, um, Pastor Steve will be giving a sermon at both of those services. 
This is a wonderful time for you to invite friends and family, whether they're coming from far away or you see them every day here in San Diego. Um, there are invitations that you can find on the table as you leave today to just invite um, loved ones to come to that service. And the following week, we have our year-end community brunch. This will be after both of the um, morning services on uh, December 30. There's gonna be lots of different types of food. There'll be some uh, music, potentially some games. And it's just a wonderful time uh, for the community to come together. Um, you can invite other people once again to come into that, to reflect on everything that's happened in the last year, how you've seen God's working and just um, anticipating everything that you know he's gonna do and how he'll provide for you in this um, upcoming year too. So December Eve services and also um, the year-end brunch on December 30. At this time, uh, please join us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. You are a mighty God. You are holy, holy, holy. You are our strength and our shield. You are an everlasting love. You are our wisdom. You are a wonder. You are our um, the, the defender and, and deliverer. You are sovereign over all things, and you are our, our savior. Uh, Father, we thank you um, for a time of confession that we can unburden ourselves of those things uh, where we were not pleasing to you. Uh, we often uh, ignore your nudging and your still small voice. Uh, we often walk by the Bible when we do have time to sit and be at your feet. We ask your forgiveness for these things and know that when you um, hear our confession, that you forgive us and you cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, we are so thankful for this church family, uh, for the work that you're doing here, that we are growing and connecting with you more and more, and we are connecting with one another more and more. And this is through your great love for us, Lord, and we thank you for that. And Father, we know that there are many, many concerns that people hold uh, in their hearts this morning as they are here. And uh, Father, you know what they are. You know what is needed. And you are causing us through these uh, difficult times and circumstances to cling to you, to draw close to you, to want to know you more and more. And so we thank you um, that you work through us uh, and for us in these circumstances. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing? How was Thanksgiving? First service, they were uh, battling the tryptophan, and we're going we're gonna to do a little bit better this one, aren't we? <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Ian O'Meara. I'm the director of Community Life, and today we're finishing our November series, which is called Practice. Now, today's message is entitled Practice Wisdom. In our world today, we are saturated with information. Just thinking back to this weekend, uh, I googled what's the distance between the Earth and the Moon for my son. Uh, I googled in a debate who won the Oscar in 1980 the, for Best Actor. Uh, looked up various things of information of what's a flag of this. I mean, we have so much information that we're saturated with it. We can find anything. How many people have a smartphone? You can find practically anything on that thing. There's more technology in that than this first space shuttle that went up to, uh, to the moon. So we have a lot of technology. Right now, in this civilization, we have more biblical wisdom, more biblical information available at our fingertips than any other time in the history of humanity. I mean, I can pull out my phone, and I can pull up three full Bible commentaries, 30 translations, various other texts, pictures of the original writings, pictures of what it looks like in Egypt or this archaeological dig, all this biblical information, but at the same time, our biblical worldview held by Christians is on the downcline. 
Our biblical literacy is in recess. I mean, we can make a good case that in the church, our ability to practice the biblical wisdom, to practice the wisdom of God, is failing. So what are some indicators, maybe, that we need to practice wisdom? Well, do you say things like, my life is a mess? I'm not close to God. Not at all. Not never. Not maybe just not right now. I'm not connected with the church. Or I'm not connected with those at my church. Are you generally like an angry person? A bitter person? A distant person? You push people away. You like to keep your distance. Are you isolated? Lonely? Are you not reading God's word? Are you not engaging with God's people? Do you have evidence of biblical wisdom in your life? Can you even begin to describe what biblical wisdom is? We might know what biblical wisdom is, but some of us might not even know how to describe it. The reality is that we'll never reach the perfection of the practicing God's wisdom, so it's for all of us. But if we fall into those categories, we need to take note. It needs to be a red flag. It needs to be something that, like, I need to listen to this. I need to pay attention. God's word has something for me today. So what is wisdom? Well, the first thing I do is I go to the internet because they got all the answers. Well, I looked up a dictionary definition of wisdom. The dictionary defines wisdom as an act, an effect or practice of using or having knowledge. If it's a faculty of the mind, then it's a faculty of discerning or judging what is right, just, proper, or useful. That's a pretty good definition, you'd think. Yeah. Wisdom is always associated with knowledge. Knowledge is basically information that we learn from experience or we learn academically or through other facets of learning. It is, it is possible to have knowledge without wisdom. It's possible. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but you cannot have wisdom. But it is impossible to have wisdom without knowledge. Think about that. But what's the difference? So like the, sometimes those words are used synonymously. Knowledge, wisdom, they kind of get wrapped around. Even sometimes in the text of the Bible, very rarely knowledge and wisdom can be used synonymously. But for the general scope of it, there's kind of different. And even in the world, on the internet, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. So I found a few internet knowledge versus wisdom quotes. Here's a good example, the difference. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it. Since it's Thanksgiving time. No, not that one. The next one. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it into your fruit salad. Knowledge is knowing you cannot cook. Wisdom is ordering out for Thanksgiving. Saving other people the burden. Oh, mm, that's, mm, that was good. Here's another one. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. Ooh, man, we had that filter. That's a good one for Thanksgiving right there. Where our world is often filled with wisdom, we can find wisdom from sages and clerics and people that sit on mountains and go in monasteries and all these things. It's often, there's a problem with that. The problem with the wisdom that we find most of the time is it's based on human experience or it's based in human logic and knowledge. But as Christians, as the body of Christ, as the people of God, as the children of God, our wisdom must be anchored in him. He must be the center point, the epicenter, the beginning and the end of all our knowledge. It can't be based on all these things outside. It must be based in God. I mean, in today's society, wisdom is associated with wealth. Wisdom is associated with popularity. Wisdom is associated with charisma. It's associated with experience or degrees. I mean, you, there's no shortage of celebrities telling us what to think, what to believe, who to vote for, what to do. What to say? Because they are the, the epitome of wisdom. Hey, I'm popular. Everybody loves me. I got a thousand million likes. I got a hundred million views on my channel. I can tell you what to say because I have wisdom. But is that God's wisdom? Or is that worldly wisdom? For Christians, our reference, our reference point for wisdom is God. Our reference point, our, our anchor for knowledge is God. I mean, we can all agree that wisdom is important. I mean, it's not, maybe it's not something we say every day, like, man, I just really need to be more wise. 
Man, I just, you know, when I, I aspire, when I'm older, I want to be wise. Like those, we don't really say it like that, but I can think there's a general understanding that we want to be wise with our lives. We want to be wise raising children. We want to be wise in our relationships. We want to have wisdom in our business dealings. We want to have wisdom in our day-to-day -day interactions. It's something we want, but is it something we're seeking? I remember when I was 20 years old, I, I knew it all. I mean, I literally did. When I was 30, I realized, man, I didn't know as much as I thought. When I was 40, I looked back and I'm like, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I haven't got to 50 yet, so who knows what that lies, leaves left up for me. But it's, wisdom is important. It is something that we know it will benefit us. But where do we go to find more information about it? If we're not looking to celebrities, we're not looking to TV, we're not looking to the internet, where do we go to find wisdom? Well, uniquely enough, our English Bibles, if you open them and look at them, are constructed with a whole section called wisdom books. If you open up to the Old Testament, the first book, Genesis, the first five books are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. Then the next section, starting with Joshua, as the people are entering the land, starts to mark off the historical books. The historical books end with Esther. And then the next book, which starts with Job and ends with Song of Songs, that section is called the wisdom books. And then the Old Testament ends with the prophets. So there's wisdom right there. So let's turn to that. We're going to look at the third wisdom book at the first chapter, which is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that most of us know. How many people have read Proverbs? A lot of us. Sometimes people say, hey, read it for a month. There's one for every day. And if there's 31 days, there's 31 Proverbs. That's a great tool. However, what we do sometimes is sometimes we just cherry pick and say, oh, answer, I, I won't answer the fool in this wisdom because it says that. Oh, wait, the next verse says, hey, answer the fool in this wisdom or he'll think he's wise. So we'll just cherry pick these little ones. Oh, iron sharpens iron. Oh, that just makes me feel good today. That's just great. But we look at the, song, the Proverbs, they're actually constructed. There's a, there's a purpose there. They're set up in a certain order. When we look at the first chapter, it's the preamble. It's setting the distinction of what this book is for. And this book is a wisdom book. The first verse says who wrote it. This is the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. He's a big deal in the Bible. He's the one that asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom over wealth and all that other stuff. And he just had an amazing life up until the end. You've got to read to the end of the story. But here, here's what he says wisdom is for. Verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction. This is what this book is for. Gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding the words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right, just, and fair. That goes back to our definition. Wisdom is going to instruct us how to live a just and right life. How to make decisions in the proper way. How to, uh, to behave in the right way. And verse 4, for giving prudence to those who are simple. Those who don't know any better. This is a place to go. To find out information, find out knowledge, finds out discretion, and for the young. This is telling us and showing us what wisdom is. It's about living right by God. It's about receiving instruction. It's about receiving guidance, accepting understanding, seeking after these things. It is something that it should affect our decision making. It shouldn't be something that's separate. It should be something that affects us. It should affect our behavior. It should affect our way of life. So where does it start? Well, we jump down to verse 7, Proverbs 1, 7. It goes on to say, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The foundation of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. God is the foundation of our knowledge. He's the platform from which we launch. He's the rock in which we make our stand. He's the all in all. He's the reference point for all we do say. He is the foundation. Sometimes this is hard to fathom. It's, it's like, if that's true, what does that mean? I've been doing this my whole life myself. Here's the fact. Wisdom does not take place without a right relationship with God. Let me say it again. Wisdom will not take place without a right relationship with God. But wait, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this 40 years. God, look at this. Look what I have. Have you seen my resume? Shh. Have you seen the experiences I have? Have you seen the degrees I've earned? Have you seen the business I have, the wealth I've accumulated, the things I've done, the people I've served? Have you seen all these things? But if it's not focused from God, it's just worldly. 
It's other. It's separate. So if you're not, wisdom doesn't come apart from a relationship with God. I know we're going to wrestle with this because we, we've been doing it on our own. We tend to do it on our own. Now, this isn't a moment of shame. It's like, oh, you're not following God. It's the tendency that we're going to be the wise fool sometimes. Or we're going to be the fool that's seeking wisdom. That's where grace comes in. We're not always going to get it right. But if we dismiss it and say, you know, I don't need it. I've been doing good on my own. I've got this. Look what I already have. The Proverbs tells us we are the fool. pretty basic language. It's pretty straightforward. It's black and white. Here you go. But what are we going to do? What do we do with that? Are we going to despise wisdom or are we going to seek his wisdom? The reality is that there's so many things in life competing for our headspace. There's things that are consuming us. There's things that are driving us. There's things that are just all around us. There's so many actions going on all at once that what are we going to take time what are we going to do with that headspace? How is it affecting the way we think? How is it affecting the way we practice wisdom? One of the biggest roadblocks that we're going to have for practicing wisdom is our own pride, our own desires. Those things will stop us every time if we don't recognize them. Our own pride. We are to self-sabotage our own wisdom, our own pride and own desire. I mean, in humanity, we, we, we view everything from our perspective. Is that true? I mean, we see out of our own eyes. We don't see out of anybody else's. It's only natural. But there's a difference between seeing it from your perspective and making yourself the center of the universe. When you make yourself the center of the universe, you buy into this lie that wisdom is about wealth, wisdom is about popularity, wisdom is about getting my way. When we have the wrong perspective, that is not God's perspective, but our perspective, our fleshly perspective, we say things like this. Well, how does that affect me? But if God was the reference point, we would say something like, well, how does this benefit others? How does it benefit my family? How does it benefit my coworkers? How does it benefit my church? When we're the perspective, we'll say things like, this isn't what I want. But when God's the perspective, we say instead, is this what my family, my friends, my church, my coworkers, is this what they need? We express that people or children can annoy us. We'll say things like, you're annoying me. Be quiet. You're bothering me. Instead of saying, hey, how can I help you? What do you need? Tell me what you need. There's this inner voice that goes on in our heads sometimes that's crying out, why me? Why me? Woe is me. I'm useless. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I'm nothing. Woe is me. I mean, I can't go a day without hearing a kid somewhere on the playground or a kid in the neighborhood saying, oh, I'm so stupid. That's a lie. That is a lie. You're who you're supposed to be. You're God's beloved. You're his child. You're created in his image. So you don't know something, you get something wrong. It doesn't mean you're stupid. But when your perspective is coming for you and everything has to be your way, you believe the lie. But at what point in all this madness do we get and seek God's wisdom? Do we stop listening to the voices of self-sabotage and self-centeredness and say, what does God have to say? What does his word have to say? What do his people have to, to say? Proverbs in the later, chap uh, later verses, verse 21, uh, chapter 1, verse 20 says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. A few verses down, wisdom speaks and says, How long, O simple ones, will you be, will you be loving simple? Sorry. Will you love being simple? How long will the scoffers delight in their scoffing and the fools hate knowledge? Wisdom is standing there saying, Here I am. See me. Notice me. I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to extol you to seek God's wisdom, to seek his knowledge. I'm right here. I'm in the street. I'm in the stair. I'm everywhere you want to be. I'm right there waving to you. Wisdom's crying out. But then are we going to be the fool? Are we going to be the scoffer that despises it? Are we going to listen to that parental guidance 
If we read this, this book, it's a father talking to the son or the parent talking to the child, the teacher talking to the student, the mentor talking to the mentor. It's this dialogue going instruction. I mean, how many times have any of us heard your parents give you instructions like, hey, don't do that. I've been there, done that. I got the scars to prove it. It's not a good idea. That's their offering wisdom. They're bringing something to you. They're saying there's a warning. Let me share one of my personal warning stories. Can I do that? You have no choice. I'm like, One Christmas, many years ago, I was probably 8, 9, or 10. I don't know. I could have been 16. Who knows? Um, I had wanted this He-Man action figure. So I sent a letter to my grandparents, told, called them, told them what I wanted. The package came in early December. I'm like, ah, that looks just like it. I was 99% sure it was it. But I used my wisdom. And I told my parents, I said, you know what? We should open that. Because I don't want you to have to buy the same present, and then we have to return things. Let's just make things simple for all of us. We'll just open it. It's like, no, 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 no. So they were wise, and they took the, the present, and they put it behind the Christmas tree. It was sat in the corner of one of our rooms. But I was like, ah, you're not going to get by me. I've been watching Indiana Jones and the Raider of the Lost Ark. I can get that, that statue off there and not cause the ball to come rolling out. So I got my little pocket knife and my roll of scotch tape, and I went on a mission. I dove under the Christmas tree, belly crawled up to it. I was de-bobbing and weaving around the presents. I was going over Garland and under Christmas lights, and ah, my destination. Popped up my knife, did this thing. I mean, this is not for the kids to learn how to open presents. This is purely, this is a wisdom teaching. Open the present, open it up, and bam! My Little Pony. It's not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So one, one or two things happen. I never got to the, the bottom of this. Either my mom and dad knew I was going to do it and they switched the tags. <laughs> or grandma and grandma just put the wrong tag on the wrong box, which happened quite frequently. <laughs> well, at this point, I, I need to seal this thing up because people are in the house. I need to get out of here before I get caught. Abort, abort. I packed everything up. I started moving on. Uh-oh. I'm stuck on a light. Ah, I know how to get out. So I'll just pull real hard and then the light will come off. Well, after I did that and my parents came running in the room of the Christmas tree laying on the floor, bulbs shattered all over the place, lights flickering and sparking, myself covered in garland. I don't know what happened. <laughs> my parents had warned me if I went to, through to try to find this present that I would affect my Christmas, and lo and behold, I did not heed the warning. Wisdom is calling out to me, and I totally missed it. Well, wisdom is calling out to us. Are we missing it? Proverbs goes on to say in chapter 2 this. It says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. This is the, this is the, the opposite of what was happening. Wisdom's crying out. But now it's telling us that we need to cry out for insight. We need to cry out for understanding. There's something that action that we need to take place in. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it, as for hidden treasure. So how do you begin to get wisdom? Well, there's four if statements here that we're going to go over. Number one, if that you accept, if you accept that you need wisdom, we must acknowledge that we need God's help in this. We need something from him. It's not something that we can get from ourselves. It doesn't matter how hard we work, how much we study, how much we do, how much we know. If we're doing it apart from God's word, if we're doing it apart from God, if we're doing it apart from God's people, it's not God's wisdom. It's human wisdom. We can't get God's wisdom apart from a relationship with God. We can't work really hard for it. We have to practice humility. Earlier this month, we heard a great message on practicing humility. We need to practice humility in this. We need to say, God... You're the one with the answers. You're the one with the wisdom. Let me go to you and seek the answers. Let me go to you to seek the information, not let me look in front of myself. We must recognize that we need God's help. We need his help in this process. Wisdom doesn't allow us to lord information over others. It allows us to use it in humility. Wisdom inspires a humility in us that as it begins to grow, and as we begin to grow in that knowledge, it's through God and by God. It's not by us. Humility drives us to grow in him. The second if statement. If you listen and apply your whole heart, 
We must listen to this wisdom. There's plenty of scripture talking about you listen, but you don't hear. We're not getting it. If we listen to it, we need to put it into application. It's not good enough just to, to, to know it. It's, we have to use it. It needs to be something that we take in and then it impacts our life. We are informed by the word of God and transformed. That's wisdom. If we are only informed by the word of God and never transformed, that's just knowledge. Useless information. It does no good. We read later in the Proverbs that iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. This is a team sport. If you want to cultivate wisdom, if you want to grow in wisdom, it has to happen in real community and in real life. If you're just the iron standing off to the side, never being sharpened, you're just dull. That's awful. But if you're iron sharpening iron, you're becoming sharp. Your wisdom is growing. And you're becoming a tool that can be used by the Lord. But if we just sit there and do nothing in isolation, we're just dull. What would we rather be? Dull or sharp? The fourth if statement. If you seek it at all costs. Here's the, the blanket. This is what it's saying. This is costly. Wisdom is costly. It, it must be viewed in this light. We can't view it any other way. It's not just a passing fad. It's not just something that happens or, oh, it's nice to have wisdom now, but, you know, in 2020, that was all, that's so 2018. We don't want anything to do with that. That's not what this is. This is an imperative for living. This is an imperative for living. It's so much. It's saying we seek it like silver. We seek it like a hidden treasure. If we look at the person in the work week, we're pouring 40 to 80 hours into our work. We're seeking that silver. We're seeking that gold. We're seeking something. We're, we're in school. We're putting all this information. We're putting all this time into gaining information. We're putting all this time into doing these things. We're putting all our time in because it's going to pay off. But the Bible is telling us that that's what we need to treat wisdom like. Are we seeking wisdom like it's silver? Like we seek after the, the money we get from our job or our profession or our business or whatever it is? Or we just push, oh, it's an after effect. I'll get to that. I mean, if wisdom was a hidden treasure that I told you that here's the map, go find it. And when you find it, your life will be radically transformed, that your life will never be the same, that you will be have the benefits beyond benefits. You would get on your headlamp, you'd get on your GPS, you'd get your metal detector, you'd even wear a fanny pack. And you would go out and you would find that wisdom because you see the value in the treasure, the hidden treasure that will change our lives. But do we view it as such? Are we seeking after God's wisdom like it's a hidden treasure? Because when we find it and we extol it and we listen to it and it becomes us, it drastically changes our life. Think about this. If your spiritual life looks today like it did a year ago, you might need to start seeking wisdom. Or if your spiritual life looks today as it did 10 years ago, you definitely need to start seeking wisdom. Because if you're feeling like I'm stuck or I'm not growing, it's because you probably are. But we need, to, we need to work through that. There's a great story about two teachers. One teacher had eight years experience, and the other one had 20. They were both applying for the vice principal position. Well, when the, the um, decision came down, they had chosen the teacher with eight years. The teacher with 20 years was outraged. Said, I am way more qualified than her. I have 20 years experience. Do you know? Look at my degrees. Look at all this stuff I've done. She only has eight to my 20. I'm complaining. Went to the administration, wrote his complaint, and the administration answered like this. Sir, yes, you do have 20 years of teaching to her eight. But where she has eight years of experience, you have one year experience repeated 20 times. He never grew. Is that where we're at? If you feel stuck, if you feel like you need a better relationship with God, then we need to seek wisdom at all costs. We need to view it as something costly, something precious. We need to view it like we're trying to feed our family. We need to view it like we're seeking the treasure that's going to change our life because it will change everything. But it's going to cost you. You know what it's going to cost you? It's going to cost us our pride. It's going to cost us our ego. It's going to cost us our self-centeredness. It's going to cost us the way of life we constructed away from God. That's what it's going to cost us. But the benefits far outweigh the cost. 
So we have these if statements. And if you have an if statement, there's always going to be a then. So what's the then? If I've done all these things, then what happens? Proverbs 2.4 tells us this. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When we make God's wisdom a priority in our life, then we begin to understand the proper perspective of the fear of the Lord. And then we will find the knowledge of God. We have to have a proper understanding of God in our lives. We have to have a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is kind of a hard concept sometimes for us to get because we live in a society that's like fear is not a big deal or we have another terms for fear. It's not fear is, mommy, mommy, there's a monster in my closet. It's not, it's not even the fear of like you're laying on your deathbed and I'm about to die. It's not the fear of looking down a dark alley or a dark passage and saying, that looks scary. It's not that type of fear at all. It's fear that can, I, I feel can best be expressed by three English words. Reverence, awe, and respect. Reverence, awe, and respect. But even those words fall short if we just leave them as words. The fear of God, here's a statement for you. The fear of God is our reverence, awe, and respect lived in such a way that our lives are being transformed by it. The fear of God is our reverence, our awe, our respect, lived in such a way that our lives are being transformed by it. It's not something that just comes and sits static. It's not something we just put on a shelf and I'll go back to that when I need it. It's not like that at all. It's something that's dynamic in our life, something that's driving us, forming us, inspiring us. If our lives are not impacted by God's wisdom, if our lives are not showing evidence of God's wisdom, then we don't have God's wisdom. We only have knowledge. We can read all the Bible verses in the world. We can memorize the, all 66 books in order. You can memorize the fancy little sections that I just told you. But if we never put it into application, it's useless. It's just knowledge. It's just information. If we want to have a proper understanding of God's wisdom, then we need to have a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord. We need to grasp that the fear of the Lord is something big. But we need to, in order to fully understand the fear of the Lord, we need to understand who God is. So let's do a little bit of Bible wisdom knowledge mining ourselves. Let's engage the text and see what it tells us about God. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. John 3, 16, that we see at all the sporting events, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But then we look at Matthew 10, 28. It says God should be feared because he is the one who can destroy both the body and the soul. Whoa. That says that in the same Bible? Wait, God is love and God is wrath? That's not possible. You can be love or wrath. You can't be the same. Right? It's only science. No, God can be love and wrath. He can be both. Here's a little analogy. Anybody seen the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or read the book? Remember I gave the book to my daughter one time and said, hey, go read it. She was 10. She came back in 45 minutes. It took me three hours to read. It took her 45 minutes. I don't get it. But in that book, there's a great analogy for this. There's the children. They go into the land of Narnia. They're looking for Thomas, the weird-looking guy, and they meet this beaver, and the beaver's talking to them. And the beaver, they go to his house, and the beaver tells them that Aslan is on the move. And then you're going to play a big part in his, in his overthrowing the white witch and regaining the kingdom of Narnia. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But later the children buy in and then we see a scene where Mr. Beaver is having a conversation with one of the, the daughters, Susan. And they're talking about Aslan the lion. And Susan is surprised by this. She thought Aslan was a man. It's a, he's a lion. So she asks this great question. She asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. He's a lion, right? Is he safe? To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. It's a lion. But he's good. But he's the king. That's a proper perspective of the fear of the Lord. That is something that we need to be feared. He's not safe. He's not safe. As we grow in our understanding of the fear of the Lord, we begin to realize that he's a threat to our ego. He's a threat to our self-centeredness. 
He's a threat to our fake way of life, but he's a benefit to us. He frees us from the delusion that we have control by revealing the truth that will set us free. He knocks us down only to lift us up. He will stand in judgment over our sins only to forgive us in Jesus' name. That's love and wrath. That's the fear of the Lord. That's who we're talking about. When we have the right perspective of who God is, when we have the right perspective of the fear of the Lord, then we will find the knowledge of God. Wisdom is about theology. And I'm not talking about theology books. I'm talking about knowing God, the knowledge of God. However, it's not about knowing theology. It's about living theology. It's not about only knowing theology. It's about living that theology. There must be evidences of wisdom in our life. James 3, 13 and 17 says it this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. There's that humility piece again. Wisdom, a component of wisdom is humility. A component of wisdom is honesty. A component of wisdom is love. He goes on and says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. So these are some attributes of the wisdom of God, the attributes of the wisdom that comes from heaven. First of all, it's pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Sounds like a good Thanksgiving, right? It sounds like a good way that we want to live our lives. Those are evidences of the wisdom of God in our life. But once again, this isn't a shame moment to say, oh, wait, I'm not living that way. But it's a red flag to say, oh, wait, I'm not living that way. Let me pursue that. That's where grace comes in. Grace isn't a presupposition that, oh, I got my license of sin. I'm good. Grace is the conclusion. The only way I got here was by the grace of God. That's what wisdom looks like. That's the evidence of wisdom. So ask yourself these questions. Would my spouse say that I'm practicing wisdom? Do my children or parents acknowledge that I'm practicing wisdom? Do I see the evidence of wisdom in my life? This is some exciting stuff for me. We're diving into God's word and we're discovering what he says. So I want you to take away three way, four ways to practice wisdom today. Start working on wisdom today. Number one, we read to live. If we're not engaging with God's word and we're not fellowshipping with others who are engaging God's word, we're missing the point. If we don't have God's word as our reference point, we're not reading to live. It's just a bookmark at the end of our day. We're missing the point. We read the information so it leads to transformation. Number two, we practice honesty and humility. When we're honest, we can assess where we're at. Where am I at with wisdom? Where am I at with these virtues? Am I even close? Am I even, is it even a thought? Do I even know what wisdom is? Am I willing to pay the cost? And then we humbly accept that we need God's help. We need the help of others. And then we engage into it. I want to, one of the other practices is we can do all the great things in the world for the Lord, but if we have not love, like Corinthians says, it's useless. Are we doing it in love? When we do this, when we practice these types of attributes inside of wisdom, we begin to grow in the process. Remember, wisdom is costly. We need to set aside our pride and ego to pursue it, to practice it. Number three, we allow the wisdom of God to inform our worldview. There's so many things going on in our lives. We can just look at the political landscape, the social landscape, the religious landscape. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about war. We're talking about integrity. We're talking about abortion. We're talking about all these different things that, over the scape of our landscape. But do we ever stop and seek God in those moments? Is our worldview being informed by God's word, God's people, and God? Or is it being informed by the people on the TV, the podcast, the book I read? the news article, the Facebook post. What's informing our worldview? Because when God's word, God's people, and God are informing our worldview, it's a biblical worldview. But when it's not, it's just a human worldview. And the church is on the decline for biblical worldview. We're allowing our Christianity to be melded with nationalism. We're allowing it to be 
melded with patriotism, ethnicity, social status, where you live, where you don't live, and that's nothing about it. It's about God. The fourth one. We get on our knees and pray. That's how we practice wisdom. I love this, this little uh, quote from a song, a lyric in a song from Casting Crowns. It says, the only way we can ever stand is on our knees with lifted hands. That's humility, honesty, love, and wisdom. It's not us, it's him. It's not us, it's him. And if you're having a problem, you want to learn how to practice prayer, next week, the Pathways class is going to be teaching on prayer. You're all welcome to come. If you need to start practicing wisdom today and prayer is where you want to start, next Sunday after the second service, there's no Pathways today, next Sunday after the second service, go in there and sit down and learn about prayer. Start there. Start somewhere. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I'm just in awe of your word. It's just, it's just so powerful. When, you, when, when I read it, I just come to it, and it's just you, you blow on my mind all the time, Lord. Sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it causes me to, to sacrifice and to give up things that you don't want me to hold on to, Lord, but it always drives me to you. Lord, I just pray that all of us are able to practice wisdom, that we get inspired and enthralled and just invigorated by reading your word, by getting together with people, that if we're not in connection and we are isolated, that we would get involved with others in the church, that we'd be that iron that sharpens iron, that we'd move from being dull in the kingdom of God to being sharp, or that we would be that sword, that tool that you use for your purposes. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this congregation. Lord, continue to inspire us to be the light in the darkness in this community. Continue to inspire us to be the gospel wherever we work, live, or play, that we take you wherever we go, and that we bring your biblical worldview with humility, honesty, and love to all the places where we live and breathe. Lord, we just ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. We continue in our worship now as a church. We're going to respond by tithes and offering and giving back to the Lord who's given so much to us. And if you've come prepared to give a gift today, this is a time to respond to him. If you are a guest, feel no obligation to give. Just watch the body of Christ respond in that way. And feel free to drop in your connection card or prayer request form as the baskets are passed. Let's begin worshiping. <coughs>
the chasm lay between us. High the mountains could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
death have its grip on you? If it, if it does, here's what it feels like. You have no hope. The people who love you most are saying, I like you least. The people you would turn to are, sa are saying, I can't take it anymore. You can't look yourself in the mirror. You can't stand the position you're in. That's what it feels like to have death's grip on you. But Jesus has broken the grip of death. He will set us free. And so the wise man, the wise woman says, I will take it on your terms. I will take your gift of love and grace. I want your love and your grace to have a grip on me. This is not a religious move. This is coming alive. Death no longer defines you. Life, it's Christ, defines you. We're going to be talking about that life uh, in the coming month of Advent. Next weekend is Advent. Uh, we're answering the question, what is Advent? Uh, if you ask a person who has no faith, they'd say, Advent sounds like an interesting word. What does it mean? Maybe it's religious. And you'd say, well, yeah, it's about Jesus. Oh, okay, Advent, I get it. Jesus came into the world so we could shop through December. <laughs> it's a very flat view of Advent. We want to help uh, everybody uh, understand Advent from a 3D, very full a fully developed perspective. Because when Jesus, God incarnate, came into the world to fulfill and confirm the prophecies of God and fulfill and confirm the promises of God, he came wrapped in expectation and surprise and conflict and wonder. And we want to explore those themes because those themes were true then and they're true now. We want to equip people, everyday people, to walk with Jesus every day and to be able to answer the question, what does Advent mean? Advent means expectation, surprise, conflict, and wonder. And so come back next week and we'll do that journey together so that you can answer those questions for your family, for your friends, uh, for the people you encounter at parties between now and the end of the year. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can imagine, right where you are. Perhaps while death's grip is still on you, he's looking at you saying, you belong to me. Receive my love. Become my beloved child by faith, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.